Holy Spirit in this place, and we ask, Lord, for your anointing, that you would open our eyes, Lord, that you would touch each and every person. We pray, God, for that anointing to be upon your word this day. Lord, we ask for your spirit to move in this place. We pray, God, that you would remove every hindrance in our life. Every, every thought, Lord, we take captive right now and bring it into the obedience of Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that our hearts and our minds would be set upon your word this day. Lord, I ask for that anointing to preach and teach as you desire. And we all ask for that anointing that we can hear and receive what the Spirit of God is speaking to us. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says, amen, amen. This morning, we're going to be getting into the book of Daniel. And one of the things I believe God wants to speak into your life today is that there is a spirit of error and the spirit of truth at work in our generation. And one of the things that God wants you to do is God wants you to not operate in that spirit, spirit of error, or I would call it the spirit of the age, but God wants you to operate in his Holy Spirit. Amen? The, the spirit of the age right now is one of what we would call worldliness, uh, but in every generation it takes on new forms. Uh, but the, the thing that God wants you to do is to make sure that you're not worldly, but you're godly. Amen. Now, one of the things that we see in the church world today is there's a blending. There's a lowering of the standard of God. There's a lowering of the truth. There's a lowering of the expectation of God in your life so that you blend into the world. Today's modern church wants you to blend into the world instead of stand out, because I want to tell you, it's going to cost you something to stand out for God. Jesus said that you would be salt and light in the generation. Amen. You would be salt and light. Now, I want you to know salt and light sets itself apart from every other thing. If you eat something bland and you put salt on it, you can tell. Amen. How many of you eat something and you say, that needs some salt? It's too bland. Amen. But God has called us to be salt and light. But that in and of itself tells you that you're supposed to be set apart, different from the world, not blending into the world. And one of the things I heard a minister say one time is that, you know, if you lower the standard of God to, to, the, to where the world is, he said, you're not changing the world. The world is changing you. And I believe one of the things that God is speaking into our life right now is that God doesn't want you to be changed by the world, but he wants you to change the world by his spirit. I tell you what our generation needs, what our world needs is some men and women that are Holy Ghost filled, that are sold out, that have been purchased by the blood, that are willing, that have counted the cost and are willing to do whatever it takes that God's light would shine through them. You know, I, I was uh, speaking on this issue to someone and, and, and they, they were asking me, you know, you got... Um, all kinds of pushback coming against you. One time we were out evangelizing and we had a, a guy push me three times and slam my sign out of my hand. And, you know, you always have opposition come against you. And they said, we're so sorry. I said, look, you don't have to worry about that because we've already counted the cost. We're ready, willing to lay down our life if necessary. We've counted the cost. And I want you to know God wants you to count the cost and God wants you to say yes to him. God wants you to say yes to him. This morning in Daniel chapter 6, I want to read for you a couple of scriptures here, starting in verse number 1. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. 
And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Verse 5, then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. You see, Daniel had a spirit that was not like the spirit of the age. Daniel lived in Babylon, but Babylon did not live in Daniel. You live in Babylon, but you ought not have Babylon live inside of you. You're supposed to be set apart from the crowd. And one of the things that they could tell about Daniel is that he didn't have the spirit of Babylon. History teaches us that in Babylon, Israel picked up all kinds of ungodly activity, like tarot cards and all kinds of witchcraft. All of these things came out of Babylon. But However, it happened, this Babylon didn't come into Daniel because he had something greater in him than what the world was. You know, the book of 1 John, it says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And I want to tell you, God wants to put something in you that is far greater, far harder, far more beautiful than what the world has. God wants to deposit something in you that is greater than what the world is. But listen, if you don't have the greater in you, you'll long for what the world has. You'll want their riches. You'll want their happiness. You'll want their satisfaction. But God wants to put something more excellent in inside of the children of God. And see, Daniel had this excellent spirit in him. He had this excellent spirit. Now, the word excellent, you know what it means. But by definition, it means that which is preferred above everything else. I mean, he had the spirit of God upon him. And, And these people could tell that Daniel was not like everyone else because there was something different on the inside. It wasn't because he wore different clothes than everybody else. It wasn't because his clothes had a shine on them. It wasn't because he was richer than everybody else. He wasn't smarter than everybody else. He wasn't richer than everybody else. He didn't have a bigger family than everybody else. He didn't have more possessions than everybody else. But he had something that they didn't have. What was it? He had God. He had God. Amen. I want you to know other people may have more more stuff, more joy, more good times, more prosperity in the world. They may have a bigger family. They may have more fortune, but they can't have more God. Amen. God invites you to come into his very near presence and he will be your comforter. He will be your joy. He will be your light in your midnight hour. I want you to know that Daniel found something. Now, Daniel, in, in, in the book of Daniel, this man was uh, taken out of his land. He was uprooted out of his home. This man didn't come into Babylon with all this land and a farm and a family. He was uprooted, taken from his family. All his friends were killed. He was, he was taken as a slave. He was a slave in this land. He was in a foreign land. He didn't have family there. He was on his own. I mean, if you could get bitter, Daniel had every right to get bitter in a, in a fleshly way. 
But he didn't allow that bitterness to get in him because he had something greater in him. And I want to tell you that there are circumstances in your life and in my life, and I want to tell you this prophetically, in the world to come, as the age unfolds, there will be opportunities for your flesh to get bitter over this, that, or the other. But you've got to make a determination in your, in your heart that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I'm not going to allow that bitterness in. I'm going to get filled with the Spirit of God. I'm going to be filled with the joy of the Lord. My cup's going to run over because I'm drinking from the fountain that never runs dry. And if you'll make that determination, and when you wait upon the Lord, and he fills your heart, then that bitterness and that anxiety and all of that worldly trash won't be coming in because you'll be drinking from that which is better. Amen? Hallelujah. John said, greater is he that's in me, greater is he that's in us, greater is he that's in the church than he that's in the world. Amen. These can't just be words that we hear. This has to be reality. And if the world outside of you is pushing upon you, you need to tarry at those altars. You need to do what Daniel did. He was a man of prayer. They said we can't find out anything wrong in him except that he obeys the law of his God. And the one thing that they knew is they could trip him up if they told him not to pray. Now I want to tell you something. They told the church, don't go to church. They told Daniel, you can't pray for 30 days. He prayed anyways. Amen. I know whenever COVID broke out, they told the church, you need to shut down. You can't have church. But I want to tell you, the true church keeps having church. You can't tell us to shut down. You can't tell us to be quiet. We're going to keep on doing what we're supposed to do in Jesus' name. And Daniel did the same thing. They told Daniel, you can't pray for 30 days. He marched right up to his room, opened that window. He looked over to Jerusalem, and he bowed on his face, and he prayed to his God. Amen? And I Because something in him was greater than what was in the world. Amen? Now, it, it, don't take, it don't take anything for you to reflect the world. Amen? Any old pushover will say, oh, well, you know, they told me not to pray for 30 days. We just going to shut her down for 30 days. We're going to play Nintendo. We're going to watch the ball game. We're going to, you know, catch up on our knitting. We're going to do some stuff. We don't have to pray for 30 days. Why? Because the world told us not to. I mean, you know how many people got overjoyed. Oh, we don't have to go to church for a year. Why? Because the world told us not to have church. You know, some people got excited. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to go to church no more. All they needed was somebody, somebody from the world to tell them, you don't have to go to church no more. But, you know, Jesus said that you're not supposed to what? You're not supposed to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do, not what the world tells me to do. Amen. Because, see, Daniel here in this passage, he had a fire burning in him to pray to God. Now, he's in a foreign land. He's a slave. He hasn't seen his family. He hasn't seen his land. He's not prosperous. He's not rich. He's just got a fire burning in him that's greater than the world's. And whenever he prays, he's, nothing's going to stop him from meeting with his God. I want to tell you that in our life, in this generation that we live in, if you allow the circumstances and the situations to be greater than your devotion to God, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. You're going to miss out on the calling of your life. Daniel, in this same chapter, was thrown in the den of lions, but the lions didn't eat him because God shut their mouth. And one of the things we know about Daniel, that was the call of God on his life. 
It was a testimony to these wicked rulers that God is still alive, that Daniel served the God of the Bible, that Daniel served the God of Israel. And I want to know, do you serve the God of Israel? Amen. Do you serve the God of the Bible? Do you serve the living God or do you serve a dead religion? Because the Spirit of God is alive today. Amen. The Spirit of God is moving in our generation. And I and I and you both need the Spirit of God in our life because the world that we live in hates God and doesn't want us to live for God. So we have to have the greater in us. Or we're going to succumb to the standard of the world. Amen. Don't ever allow the standard to be lowered in your life to where you allow the world to come in so that you blend in like the world. Do what the world says. Amen. The spirit of the age. There's four things I want you to know about the spirit of the age. If you don't have the Holy Ghost in you, burn and bright. If you don't have the Holy Ghost in you, burn and bright. Now, you know why I say burn and bright? Because a lot of people knew the Holy Ghost 20 years ago. A lot of people knew the Holy Ghost two years ago. Amen? A lot of people knew the Holy Ghost a few months ago. But when I say the Holy Ghost burning bright, I'm talking about prayed up, filled up, overflowing joy. The joy that comes from the presence of God in your life daily. You know that nobody can stop you from the presence of God? No demon, no devil, no scheme of hell can stop you from the presence of God. If you will draw near unto God, I want to tell you something. The blood of Jesus and the body of Christ Jesus paved the way for the presence and the power of God to be poured out upon you in every situation of life. Nobody can stop you from coming to God. Nobody can stop you from waiting upon God. Nobody can stop God from pouring out His Spirit freshly upon you. Fresh oil. But you can. You can stop you. You can stop you. you. Nobody else can stop you. Babylon couldn't stop Daniel. I mean, they had the, the king signed it. Every security guard, every wicked ruler, they were all watching Daniel, but not one of them could stop Daniel from worshiping God, getting in the presence of God. Amen. And I want to tell you, there may be a thousand devils around you. There may be all kinds of schemes against you, but nobody can stop you from seeking the face of God. And nobody can stop God from pouring out his spirit in your life. And what we all need more than anything the world has is the Spirit of God. We need that excellent Spirit. We need that greater Spirit. We need that living witness in our lives. Uh, Jesus told the, the, the church in the, in the book of Acts, He said, Tarry in Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. And you know what? God's never changed. His mission is the same. He's telling you and I, if we will wait upon Him, if we'll tarry and wait, then He will empower you from on high. But you've got to tarry, you've got to wait, you've got to seek His face. You can't go around that. You can't say, well, you know, that's for other people, but I don't need that. Let me tell you something. If you didn't need the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would have never been sent to one person. If you didn't need the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would have never came down to one person. But if God ever poured out His Spirit on one person, He's willing to pour His Spirit out on 
All people. Amen. He wants to pour his spirit out on all people. But if the devil can get you to buy into the lie that you don't need that excellent spirit, you don't need that greater witness, you don't need that living witness, then he can hold you back because he personally can't do it. No demon can keep you back. But if he can get you to buy that lie that you don't need the Holy Ghost, then you'll forfeit this excellent spirit. Four things that the spirit of the age does in our life is it'll get us to have a worldly appearance. It'll get us to take worldly actions. It'll get us to have worldly answers. And it'll get us to have worldly ambitions. Four things. When when you see that the world is having a greater influence on you, you'll start dressing like the world. You start looking like the world. Well, you know, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is doing it, right? Everybody else is doing it. Well, so if, the, if that which is outside of you is having a greater effect, if the Babylon outside is greater than what you have inside, you'll take on its appearance. You will take on its appearance. You will take on its actions. Oh, everybody else sleeps around. Everybody else lives together before they get married. Got to try it out. That's the wisdom of the world. That's the wisdom of Babylon. Amen. You see, you have to have something greater in you than what the world is. And the only thing that you and I have greater than the world is, is the Holy Ghost. It's not of us. Amen. See, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the world will lead you down a wrong path. Wisdom of the world will get you to compromise. Compromise can never be had with the world. You know why? Because the Bible says so. The Bible says that he that makes himself a friend of the world has made himself an enemy of God. God and the world are at enmity with one another. You can't be a friend with the world. And then this, the, the last thing is the ambition, the purpose of your life. One of the things that we talked about in our last Bible study is that the purpose of your life and my life is to reflect Jesus Christ. That Jesus be seen in us. That we be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. That we be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, if you don't have that Spirit of God in you, your ambition is not that Christ be seen in you. Your ambition is not that Christ be glorified in you. Your ambition is not that others see the light of Jesus in you. If you have a worldly ambition, it's going to be for jobs. It's going to be for bigger houses, bigger cars. It's going to be for the world things. You're going to have the ambitions of Babylon. The ambitions of Babylon will always lead you down a wrong road. Three things that the ambitions of Babylon will do. It'll leave you bitter. It'll leave you blind. It'll leave you broken. People are bitter and blind and broken because they've allowed Babylon to have an influence in them. I want to tell you, everybody goes through situations and circumstances. Everybody goes through heartache. Okay, everybody goes through hard times. Maybe you're the second coming of Job. Maybe your time's harder than anyone else, but everybody goes through hard times. But in every situation, if you'll come to God, you can have an excellent spirit in that situation. Nobody wants to go through hard times, 
But I know a God who will get you through the hard times. I know a God who won't turn his back on you. I know a God who will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you, who will not leave you nor forsake you, no, not ever. I know a God who will be with you when the fire of the world comes against you. I know a God who is willing to come down in the fire with you. I know a God who's willing to stand in the fiery furnace so that you don't get burned. I know a God who's willing to take your place when the punishment comes. I know a God who's willing to stand up for you. But the the bitterness, the blindness, and the brokenness of life often comes upon people because they're not coming to that God who can heal them. They're not coming to that God that can heal them. Daniel knew about God. Daniel knew about Jehovah. Daniel knew about the God of Israel, but it would not have profited him one bit to shrink back from the God he knew while he was in Babylon. Well, I'm in Babylon. I'm not in Israel anymore. Might as well do what Babylonians do. That's the logic of a lot of people in the world today. Amen? Let me show you something in the book of Proverbs. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter number 12, verse number 26. I want to talk to you about being excellent. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 26. Listen to what the Word of God here says. It says, The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduces them. Now, I want want you to look at that first part. Now, we all understand that the way of the wicked seduces the Christian. A lot of times a Christian, whenever they don't have the Spirit of God uh, living in them, when they don't have the fountain flowing in them, when they don't have the fire burning in them, they begin to look at the world and they begin to get seduced by the way of the world. But the Word of God here says that the righteous is more excellent than his neighbor. Now, there's a contrast that God's setting right here. Now, he doesn't say that you have better clothes. He doesn't say that you have more cars. He doesn't say that you have more money. He doesn't say that you, you have better fortune, that you have better luck. He doesn't say that you have better times. But it says that the righteous is more excellent Now, we could take a step back and understand righteousness. The only righteousness we have is the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us by faith. We don't have our own. Our own righteousness is like filthy rags. Amen? We have to believe upon what Jesus did upon that cross. And when we do, God imputes his own righteousness to us. It is the righteousness of Christ that we stand upon. I tell you, whenever I pray and I go before God, I don't say, Lord, I'm a, I'm a preacher. I've prayed, and here I am. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I say, Lord, I thank you for your righteousness. I believe upon what you did upon that cross. And because of what you did, here I am. Here I am. Amen? Here I am. It is the righteousness of Christ upon which we stand. Now, the righteous person is more excellent. What does it mean? Does it mean that you're going to have a bigger car, a bigger house, and better clothes, and more money, and better fortune? No, it means that you'll have God. 
I want you to think about this contrast and think about the way that the church world looks at the world today. I want you to know that it is not in the things of life. It is not in how, how, what your status is in the world, but it is whether there's something in you that's not in the world, whether the Spirit of God is in you. More excellent in possessions, more excellent in money, more excellent in clothes? No. More excellent in the fact that God lives inside of us. You see, the Word of God here is telling you that there's a contrast between the righteous person and the worldly person, and that contrast is not that you have a better life, it's that you have God in you. There's times that we go through circumstances and situations, and I'm telling you, if you don't know and understand the excellent Spirit of God, when you go through the valleys and you go through the dark seasons and you go through the night hours, when you go through those times when the world says goodbye to you and the world begins to persecute you, just like Daniel, they threw him in the den of lions. When you go through those hard situations of life, it'll leave you bitter and broken and blind unless you have the excellent spirit of God in you. God is calling upon you and he's calling upon me to prepare ourselves for the season and the hour that we live in. We cannot be seduced by the looks of the world. They may have it. Let me tell you something. In the last days, it'll be far easier to take the mark of the beast and to keep on eating. But the word of God says, if you take the mark of the beast, you'll be thrown in the pit of hell. It'll be far easier. You'll fit in. You'll flow with the world. You'll still be able to use your credit card, still be able to go to McDonald's, still be able to go to, uh, to Walmart and pay your water bill. Hopefully you won't be here for that time period. I don't plan on being here for that time period. But let me tell you something. It would be far easier to do that than to keep this excellent spirit. But you can't do both. You're not going to be able to have an excellent spirit and the mark of the beast at the same time. And you can't have the spirit of Babylon and the spirit of God dwelling in the same temple. God will not coexist with the demon in you. So the excellent spirit that I want to talk about in this passage, um, Paul talks about it in Philippians. Let me show you this. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. I want to show you this over here. Philippians chapter number 1. All this is by way of introduction. Now we're going to get into the word. Philippians chapter number one. How many of you know that sometimes, just like that verse says, the world can seduce you? The logic of the world, the wisdom of the world, the appearance of the world. It can seduce us. It can. If you don't think it can, you got spiritual pride. It can seduce. You must stay close to God. You must stay filled up with God. Amen? The the devil knows what he's doing. But so does God. So Philippians chapter number 1, I'm going to read verses 9 through 11. We're going to camp out here for a second. Philippians 1. Verses 9 through 11. Now, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. This is the church that knows Paul as the prisoner. Now, this this is a church that knows Paul as someone who's been a victim of circumstances. It's not fun to go to prison for God. Amen? 
How many of y'all been to prison for God? It's not fun. It's not fun to have the world persecute you. It's not fun. I don't think Daniel said he had a fun time in the lion's den. I don't think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, I had a fun time in the fiery furnace, other than the fact that Jesus came. Amen? It's not fun. But I love those great men of God like John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. They put him in prison because he was preaching. And he was preaching not in the four walls of a church, but in the open air. That was forbidden back in the day. I think a lot of people still think it's forbidden. But anyways, John Bunyan, he was preaching, and they threw him in jail. And they told him, you know, your wife and your kids, they miss you. He said, yeah, I know. They said, if you'll not preach, we'll let you out of prison. He said, before I do that, I'll let the moss grow over my eyes. He was not going to come out of there and compromise. I mean, he could have lowered the standard of God, but there was something burning in him that was hotter than the prison that he was in. And I don't think he would sit here today and tell you it was fun to sit there and rot in prison, but God was with him in the prison. And I want you to know that that's what God's calling us to today. God is calling us to have this fire burning in us that is hotter and brighter than the world against us. Now, you may not be in prison, but you may be in a bad situation. You may be in a situation where all hell is wearing you out, where where every demon and, and every scheme of hell is coming down against you and the devil has been lying to you, getting you depressed, getting you to focus on your situation, where you feel helpless and hopeless. But I want you to know God wants to put in you and refire in you the fire of God so that you can say like John said in 1 John 4, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Is there a greater? Is there a greater? That's the question I have for you today. Is there a greater in you than in the world? Because that's what God can do for you. And if you don't have that, you'll be seduced by the world. Paul said this to this church that knew him as a prisoner of Christ. Verse number 9, he said, In this I pray that your love may abound yet more. And more in knowledge and in all judgment that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. Paul here is writing this letter, and and the prayer of Paul is that you would abound in love and in knowledge, but look to this one point, that you would be able to approve the things that are excellent. Now, that word approve there means to discern. It means that God would give you that ability to judge what is that excellent and godly thing and what is that worldly and Babylonian thing. That God would give you the spirit of discernment. That you would be able to take hold of whatever the situation is and choose the godly course in that situation. You know that there's situations that these people would go through that that Paul wouldn't be there to go through it with them. And there's situations that you go through in life that your preacher won't be able to go through with you. That your best friend won't be able to go through with you. There's situations that you go through that nobody else knows and understands the hardship that you go through. But God does. 
does. And if you'll, if you'll wait upon God and if you'll pray and you'll abound in that love for God, love of his presence, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor likewise. If you'll abound in that love and abound in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then that spirit of discernment will come upon you. And in every situation, in every circumstance, in everything that you go through, God will give you that ability to judge and to discern what is excellent and godly and noble and what is worldly and Babylonian. God will give you that ability. And that's the thing that that Paul, his greatest desire for them is that they would be able to know and distinguish the difference. Discernment is one of the greatest needs we have in the church today. People today, listen to me, people today have no discernment. They think if they vote for the right person, they're right with God. Look, you can figure out all the conspiracies in the world and vote for the right person and pay your taxes and, 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 and all these things and not be right with God. Today, there's a lot of fear-mongering going on. Let me tell you, there's a lot of fear-mongering going on. And if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, then the spirit of fear-mongering will overwhelm you. Banks are going to collapse. War's breaking out. Earthquakes going on. Riots are going to happen. Amen? Uh, uh, Earthquakes. Comets going to come down and destroy everybody. Aliens are going to come get us. There's reptiles ruling the world. I mean, these people fall into these conspiracy theories. Amen? Like it's cereal. And the problem is, if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you won't be able to distinguish what is excellent and what is godly and what is worldly and Babylonian. And the devil would love nothing more than for you to pay your taxes and vote for the most righteous way, but still not be righteous. Devil would love nothing more than for you to figure out every conspiracy there is. Hey, maybe you do. Figure it all out. Who shot JFK? Where the aliens come from? How many tunnels are under your feet? Figure it all out. But does that make you right with God? Does that lead you to Jesus? Does that lead you to that excellent spirit? No, it'll lead you down a dark, winding tale where you'll end up bitter, broken, and blind. And that's the word of God this morning, is that God is calling upon you to say no to the spirit of the age because it will leave you worse than I found you. It'll leave you blinder than you were at the beginning. And you'll have more bitterness and you'll be more broken because you've turned away from the spirit of God. The spirit of the age will leave you broken. But the Spirit of God will come up inside you and mend you. And listen, he says right here, when, you're, when, when you have that excellent, look at that verse 11. It says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Now, fruit, uh, here, I want to just tell you this. The fruit here is both inward and outward. Now, we know that. But in order for anything to bear fruit, it's got to have the life on the inside in order for the fruit to be born on the outside. There's a lot of Christians that got the artificial fruit on the outside, but they don't have the life of God on the inside. But I want to tell you something that's encouraging. I mean, if you've got the real thing inside, sooner or later, that thing's going to come on the outside. You're going to start bearing that fruit on the outside. It may not come when you want it to come, and it may not be as much as you want it to be, but it'll be how God wants it to be. But you first got to have that living life on the inside. Before you can bear fruit on the outside, you've got to have the life flowing in you on the 
the inside. And when he says here, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, that shows you this relationship. That in order for this to happen, you have to have your heart set upon God. You have to say no to the ways of the world, and you have to say yes to God, and you have to set yourself apart, and you have to seek him above everything else. You know that God's a jealous God, don't you? How many of you know that God's a jealous God? Do you know that God never changes? Do you know that God's still jealous? It doesn't mean he's the jealous boyfriend looking over your shoulder every time you turn around. But what does it mean? He shares you with none else. He will not share you. You go back and you look at, at you go you go back and you look at Hosea. You go back and look at how how God deals with the adulterous wife. She wants to go? Go. You want the world go. But God will not share his love with the world. He, he loves you, and he wants you to be set apart to him. And you see, one of the things that we see in this passage here, this fruits of righteousness, there, this is where your relationship really births from. And nothing can make up for that. I want to tell you, you can go to church every day of your life ten times a day. You can give all your money to the poor. You can do everything you're supposed to do outwardly. But if there's not this relationship where this living uh, water flows, where the Spirit of God dwells, if the fire is not in you, then nothing you do on the outside can make up for what you're missing on the inside. It is what is missing on the inside that God is touching on this day. Because if you don't have the Spirit of God on the inside, sooner or later, you go back and you read that in Proverbs 12 again, sooner or later, the world will seduce you. If you don't have the real thing on the inside, sooner or later, you're going to say, I've had it up to here. I'm done. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. You, I gave you once. I gave you twice. I will not do it again. The, see, the world will eventually seduce even the most, the most ritualistic religious person. Because if you don't have that living relationship, if you don't have the abiding presence of God in your life, you will eventually succumb to the spirit of the age. It will eventually figure out your language. There's an old book they called Love Language, where they tried to tell the husbands how to, how to better love their wives. Well, she speaks through gifts, and he speaks through encouragement. So you got to speak that way so you can talk to them. You know, the world... The spirit of the age is scanning you. Oh, Clarence Sexton, he said that the, that the devil will go around your house a thousand times to find that back door unlocked once. But the spirit of the age is scanning you, looking for anything in you that it can exploit. And if you don't have that living witness in you, eventually the world will speak your love language. Eventually the world will speak your love language. And will seduce you away from the Christ that bought you. Now I want to tell you greater love. The word of God says greater love is no man than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. And Christ laid down his life for you. 
If you want to know what love is, you look at that cross. You look what Jesus did for you on that cross. I'm telling you that you need the Spirit of God, but I'm telling you right now that in order for you to know that you are loved, you are cherished, that God cares about you, He went to that cross for you. You were in a condition that you couldn't help yourself, and you and I both know that we deserve hell. We deserve the punishment of God. God is holy, and we know that there's been a time in our life that we were not holy. But God, who was rich in mercy, gave us the cross. He came to this earth, and he bore our sin on that cross, and he washes us with his own blood. You see, when you, when you feel that and you understand that, that's where love is. That's where relationship begins. But I got to tell you this. I got to be honest with you, right? It, it's a good thing to be honest in the pulpit. Our church world today wants the gospel to be, Jesus came and said, relationship for the kingdom of God is at hand. But that's not what he said, is it? He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You see, the world today wants to say relationship. It's about relationship. It is about relationship, but relationship cannot be started until repentance begins. There has to be a time in our life when we say, you know what, I'm, I'm coming away from the world and I'm coming to you, God. I'm going to turn away from everything that's not you. If it's not of you, I don't want it anymore. I've gone my own way. I've gone the way of the world. I've gone the spirit of the age. And I'm coming out of all of those things, and I'm coming to you. Repentance is a change. It is a turn. Amen? And I want to tell you, a lot of people, they lower the bar of the gospel because they will not tell people that you must repent. But I want to tell you, if in red letters, Jesus told people, repent for the kingdom kingdom of God is at hand, then it is incumbent upon us in the pulpit to tell the same thing. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does it mean for the kingdom of God to be at hand? It means the kingdom of God is here. When Jesus comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he brings his kingdom inside you and inside me. And what we need is that kingdom in us. But he said that kingdom of God is at hand. The only way that you can receive that kingdom is first by repenting. Once you repent of your sin, once you repent of your worldliness, once you repent of every spirit of the age deception, once you repent, then relationship can begin. Don't let the devil lie to you. There will be no relationship until there's repentance. You can mark it. Jesus said it. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And I want you to know Jesus didn't waste his words. If he spoke those words and the Holy Ghost penned those words and somebody inked it in red, then I want you to know it must be said. You must repent and make things right with God. And then you'll receive the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in us. That's what God wants you to have. That greater witness on the inside than the world is on the outside. Oh, uh, yes, I know it's far easier to tell people, hey, God wants to have a relationship with you. You can have a relationship with God. That's all good, fine and dandy, but it starts with repentance. Repentance is the key to the relationship. Amen. You look at any uh, relationship between a man or a woman, if anybody's flirted with somebody or you got, got, got any, any kind of issue, 
Before that relationship can be restored to its proper place, there has to be a day of reckoning. I'm not going to go talk to them anymore. I'm not going to go do that anymore. I'm going to come home when I'm supposed to come home. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to love you. I'm going to set my heart upon you. I will seek you all my day, right? For the relationship to be restored, there has to be a reckoning. And that's what repentance is. And I want you to know far too many people in the church world do not have the power and the presence and the fire of God because they're not repentant. They're not repentant. You know the verses. You can quote them. You can shout them. We can clap about them. We can stomp by our feet. But listen. Stomping the feet is not repenting. Shouting is not repenting. There has to come a time where we say, you know what, Lord? I'm coming home, and I'm sorry. I'm coming home, and I'm sorry. You shed your blood for me. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to give my life to you. Oh, yes. Lord, I thank you for that blood that was shed for me. And I belong to you and none other. I'm going to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. I want to tell you something. When you do that and the Spirit of God comes upon you, you'll, you'll jump, you'll shout, you'll stomp. I'll do it with you. Come on. But in order for this relationship to proceed, there first has to come a reckoning. We say, where we recognize. You look at the back of that, it says that you may approve the things that are excellent. And, and in order for us to go forward in the day and hour that we live in, we all have to agree, we need God. We are coming up in an hour that I believe the church is in a critical season. I never in my life would have thought that the church would have shut down whenever somebody told them to shut down. Never in my life. But I never thought that people would give out iPads and iPhones and stuff like that either. Never thought we'd have Starbucks. Here's the, here's the issue at hand. Do you have that discernment to know what is the most excellent thing? Can you distinguish between what is of God and what is of the spirit of the age? And I believe the closer we get to the time of Christ's return, the more deception the world will bring to the church. The world's already deceived. The world's already deceived. They're already lost. They're already in darkness. They can be two, twofold sons of hell. But the blindness, the deception is for those that are merely dating Christ that aren't yet married to him, that aren't yet married to him. See, if you're only dating Christ, if you're only dating Christ, you, you can quote it, you can stop it. Maybe you even want it, but you're just dating. Then what happens is, like it says in Proverbs the world will eventually seduce you because it's going to figure out what speaks to you. Maybe it's because uh, it'll be envy. You know, that, oh, the reason that you don't have money is because the, the reptile people, they take all the money from people like you. 
eventually that'll hit home. You know what? That's true. I'm mad at them now. Oh, reptile people. But eventually the world will speak something that moves you away from the spirit of God that is excellent. And I want to tell you today, God's calling you to this place of relationship where this fruit begins to manifest in your life. Jesus said in John chapter 15, abide in me and I in you and you will what? You'll bear much fruit. Nobody said it, so let's turn to it. John 15. John 15. Turn with me to John 15. This will be our last passage. John 15. Verse 4. John 15, verse 4. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. Does that tell you there's a relationship necessary? This is not for super-duper Christianity. This is not for super-duper Christianity. This, this is Christianity. You can't have Christianity without Christ abiding in you. All you have is formality. All you have is religion. All you have is religiosity. You have a form of godliness, but you don't know the power of it if Christ is not abiding in you. This is the key and the catalyst to Christianity. You can't have Christianity without the abiding presence of God. If you don't have the abiding presence of God, you will be seduced. It says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. There's no fruit possible without this relationship. Whenever God speaks of fruit, whenever God speaks of faithfulness, whenever God speaks of godliness, it all comes down to this passage right there in John 15, verse 4. You abiding in him and he abiding in you. It has to be a twofold process. It is relationship. It's not one way. It's two ways. It's you abiding in him and he abiding in you. And if we don't have that, the spirit of the age will wash us away. But if we have that, then just like Daniel, we'll have a more excellent spirit than the spirit of the age. And no matter what the world comes at you with, you will stand in Jesus' name. I want to tell you this morning, God's calling upon you to get a fire in your soul. Amen? God's calling on you to get a fire in your soul. He loves you. Don't settle for religiosity. Don't settle for pretend. Don't settle for a form of godliness. Don't settle for catechisms and dogma. Don't settle for theoretical things in your head. There's got to be a living witness in your soul. You in Christ, Christ in you. Not in theory. In reality, if you don't have the reality of the abiding presence of God, you'll be seduced in the last days. This is a warning. It's prophetic. But it's a warning. You have to have the spirit of God abiding in you or the spirit of the age will seduce you. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Can you say that? But is it true? Greater is he that's in us 
than he that's in the world. And I want to tell you this as I close. God loves you. As much as I'm preaching, hey, abide in him, God wants to abide in you. God wants to abide in you. And if you'll set yourself apart for him, he'll come to you. He already came to the cross. Listen, he already came to the cross. He's already done everything necessary. All you have to do is set yourself to him. Say, Lord, I'm coming out of the world. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. This morning, if God is speaking to you, I want to pray for you right where you're at. Father, I thank you for every person in this place this morning. Lord, I thank you for the spirit of God, and I thank you.